Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner here on The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites, produced right here in Baltimore, out of your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSTL 90.7 FM. And that's Ruby, My Dear, by Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane. Thelonious Monk passed away on this day in 1972. Today we're listening to a panel I hosted last week at Red Emma's. Food Chains is a documentary on the human cost of our food supply system and the complicity of large buyers of produce to exploit the farm workers. It was co-sponsored by the Center for a Livable Futures Food and Faith Project. And here's a trailer from the film Food Chains. We know our economy is stronger when we reward an honest day's work with honest wages. Let's declare that in the wealthiest nation on earth, no one who works full-time should have to live in poverty. Everybody should be concerned with where our food comes from and who picks it. To live hungry while you are working, that's not a dignified way of living. The defendants have been accused of beating them, locking them inside trailers, chaining them to a pole. These abuses are un-American, they are unacceptable, and they must stop. The history of farm labor in the United States is a history of exploitation. These people have suffered tremendously and grown much more slowly economically than any other segment of our society. If we cannot win this fight, we have lost the soul of America. I think the entire supermarket business goes out of its way so that you're not reminded of where your food came from. If you want to make change, you need to look at the people at the very top. We became a little problem for the big corporations. Farm workers in Florida place the responsibility of fair wages and conditions for workers on the big buyers of tomatoes rather than the farmers. What we want is to establish change. I still believe agriculture is the backbone of America. You've got to pay attention to the labor force. Most people have no idea that they're connected to this system every time they buy fresh fruits and vegetables. If a handful of companies decided that they wanted to eliminate poverty among farm workers, it could happen very, very quickly. That was the trailer from the film Food Chains. Much of the film focused on the organizing of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. The Coalition of Immokalee Workers are tomato pickers, fighting to get raises equivalent to one cent per pound. They're targeting large buyers, such as supermarkets and fast food companies, which buy the majority of tomatoes in this country. They've achieved their goal with a number of companies, signing contracts with previous targets like Walmart and Taco Bell. Now they're focused on a large grocery chain called Publix. The film Food Chains discusses this campaign. A few years ago, I spoke with one of the founders of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, Lucas Benitez, who's featured in this film, about his organization. Here he is with translator Joe Parker. So we began back in the early 90s, and the community of Immokalee is a farm worker community made up mostly of Mexicans, Guatemalans, and Haitians. And so we began to organize principally because of a lack of respect and an imbalance of power that was inherent to the agriculture industry and had been there for many years. We were fighting against things like poor treatment, verbal and physical abuse, and sexual harassment that many women faced in the field. So it was all of these things that brought us to, to look for a solution, to look for a way to, to change the industry that had been this way for so many years. I think most of America is unaware of this. And, I, and what I understand is that the you and the Coalition of Immokalee Workers besides fighting for better working conditions and and uh, and wages for the the picker the people who pick the food that Americans eat is to enlighten uh, and organize the consumer as well of the food to know what's going on exactly the campaign for fair food that we began 10 years ago is really an effort to modernize the agriculture industry here in the state of Florida and throughout the entire East Coast. And we want to make it a more humane industry. And we want to distinguish our products, the tomatoes 
that are grown under this program from any other tomato that comes from here in the United States or from other countries. We have a campaign that is focused on consumers and also focused a lot on young people, uh, young people who are an important part of the consumer base, for example, in the fast food industry. And many young people think about tomatoes coming from a place like Walmart or, you know, coming on your hamburger at Burger King. But they don't ever really stop to think that behind this, human, there are human beings who are picking this food, that all of the tomatoes they're eating are, picky, are picked by farm workers in the field. And we see that, so all of this we're doing together. Uh, we are consumers and workers fighting together for the same goal. And that goal is first to make, to create a more just workplace for farm workers. And also we realize that this is an opportunity for young people and people in general to really be a part of making history, to to write a new history together. So, the, the, in, in, in the end, you want what to happen? You want the consumers to know, you want the, the, what, where the tomatoes come from, the cost of them, and also what happens to the workers? What What is the end result of what you want to see as you take on these supermarkets? So when we finish with the supermarkets, what we really want is a complete change, a total change in the standards in the agriculture industry. And these standards include a number of benefits that are not provided for by the state laws. For example, the one penny more that we've demanded of the nine corporations so far um, currently just comes from these nine corporations. And so when the supermarkets enter into the fair food program, the one penny more won't just be a bonus, but it'll actually be built into the piece rate. And it won't vary depending on which field you work in. It will be something that extends throughout the industry. And today, thanks to the support of the nine corporations who have signed our fair food agreement, we have things like access to shade in the workplace. And that's something that we couldn't have even imagined in the past, having a place, a shaded place, to go and take your break when you need a rest. Uh, today, for the first time, women are reporting cases of sexual harassment in the fields without the fear of being fired, because that's what would have happened in the past. It would have been the woman who would have been fired and not the person who was perpetrating the case of sexual harassment. And another change that many workers have been very happy about is that we've eliminated another standard that has existed for many, many years in the agriculture industry, and that is the overfilling of buckets. And so for every 10 buckets that you're overfilling, you're actually gifting a free bucket to the growing company. And so today the standard is that you fill your bucket to the rim so that there is not a single tomato that is 100% sitting above the rim of the bucket. That was Lucas Benitez, one of the founders of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, along with translator Joe Parker. Now let's listen to the panel on the film Food Chains I hosted last week at Red Emma's here in Baltimore. Let me introduce the folks who are up here. First, uh, to my left is uh, Sergio Espanas with us. He has been a guest on our show many times. He lived in Baltimore for the past 10 years and grew up in Los Angeles and Guatemala. Uh, and he's been supporting the mission of the Student Farm Worker Alliance from UMBC on for a long time, since 2008, and has worked along veterans and, and, and veterans' families all across this country uh, to share their stories and experiences with the civilian community. And much of what he's done over the years is what he's learned from the Immokalee workers and learned from the struggles of how they did things and bringing them there. And that's been a big piece of the inspiration of his work when he did the health care campaign here in the state of Maryland as well. And uh, has been working with groups like the Coalition of Immokalee Workers and the Student Farm Workers Alliance and Baltimore's United Workers. And uh, next to him is Rachel Winograd, who joins us now from Philadelphia, where she coordinates the uh, food justice program of uh, CATA, uh, and uh, the Farm Workers Support Committee, and she's got a background in sustainable agriculture and popular education style of organizing, and is trained as a work representative of the Food Justice Certification Program and these pesticide education workshops for farm workers as well. Uh, and next to her is Ken Brown. Ken Brown is known as Analysis, and Analysis is one of our poets of life, and he's a spoken word artist, a lover of social justice. Uh, and he, he's uh, emceed events for the Coalition of Immokalee Workers in Chicago and Tampa and Boston. He's an educator. He's a progressive minister. He graduated from the Howard uh, Divinity School uh, and has been deeply involved in anti-racist organizing and has a long radical history. Uh, and uh, his poetry of analysis has been heard across America. He grew up in our town here in Baltimore. And um, 
Emily Dickinson once said, if I feel physically as if the top of my head were taking off, I know that's poetry. And uh, people say analysis cuts heads. And we want to start off the night with analysis, uh, joining us with one of his poems about the Immokalee workers. As I bite into a delicious jubilee, I'm forced to wonder if the person who picked it is even free. You see, I grew up with the noble images of those who collected the fruit of the earth in idyllic scenes perfected by a peaceful farming life. No oppression, no strife. At least, that's what they told us. Brainwashed us with some wholesome images, a bill of goods they sold us because the goods they sell us often come to us through a peace, through a pain they don't tell us about. And so when the workers cry out, we react with doubt. Finding it hard to believe that what we buy from our supermarkets isn't always retrieved with the due respect we thought all farm workers received. However, this ain't Green Acres or Hee Haw, y'all. This ain't the little house on the prairie or even Smallville. No, this is how most of our food arrives to our plate through this country's traditional estate of labor exploitation cultivated in hate. A Steinbeck scene put into current context. I never could have guessed what would be next. Human beings being stressed by oppressors stomped like grapes of wrath run through presses weighted down with pails of 30-plus pounds, long, back-breaking days, and incessant rounds of picking those green, red-orange delectables that we find so acceptable to be on our plates. Bountiful. The corporation's not accountable. Statue says, give me your masses yearning to be free. Seems to be a lie to me, because if you don't look like one of the dominant culture, but have a hue more like some of you or me, you might be yearning for a freedom you can't see. Free trade agreements give the poor the freedom of starvation, or of sending a loved one off to a plantation to be welcomed with greetings of locks and chains, pistol whippings and beatings, workers putting their lives at stake for a beefsteak. The bosses know what they're doing. It ain't no mistake. They're more interested in the quantity of their better boys and big girls than in the quality of conditions which would allow workers' children to be better boys or grow up to be big girls. You say tomato, I say tomato. Corporations say the same old bullish bravado, creating a mix of publicity and tricks with which to confuse the public's wicks, concealing the public's knowledge of the batterings in the sticks. Making a profit off the public ignorance is how they get their kicks. Tricking the public into hopping on over to where shopping is a pleasure. As long as you don't measure the blood, sweat, and tears harvested in this treasure which supports executive leisure. However, the workers, now collectively, the workers grow stronger like a fine wine. And so we follow their leadership, ally with them. Knowing that over time, justice will prevail in the fields and human rights will be deemed more important than what a crop yields. Their spirit is strong, and even in the midst of tears, they sing freedom songs, so with them, we continue the struggle. Though the road will be long, integrity is ours, and to us, the victory will be long. So, cultivate, muenve suete foste apu. Cultivate, muenve suete foste apu. Trabajadores, que la fuerza de la tierra es suya. Trabajadores, que la fuerza de la tierra es suya. Farm workers, may the strength of the earth be yours. Farm workers, may the strength of the earth be yours. Coalition, may the strength, may the strength, may the strength of the earth be yours. Poem for the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. All right. Thank you, Analysis. Thank you. Thank you. you know, I always say that the, the worst thing in the world is to have guilt. Guilt doesn't help anything, but awareness cha can change a lot. And so I, I, watching the movie tonight, the first thing I thought about being as old as I am was remembering when that movie Harvest of Shame came out with Edward R. Murrow and, then, and when Chavez walked in the United Farm Workers and now here we are in 2015 and it's the Immokalee workers standing up in the same way. So I, and start with you, Sergio, because I know that I've known you for a while and I know that you've been 
involved at UMBC in organizing students to make changes f for food there and raise consciousness. And that, in some ways, is the biggest thing because we sit here and we can eat this you know, grilled cheese sandwich, which I love here at Red Emma's, and it has those tomatoes in it, and I love those tomatoes inside the cheese. And I know where they come from and how the work has picked them. So the question is, how do, as, how do we kind of raise the consciousness you know, and start beginning to be, think, be, just be aware, be aware of what's going on around us all the time? How does it even begin to expand it out? Because we're the ones who are the consumers. Sergio. Yeah, so that's a big question. Um, so <laughs> that's how I like to start that way. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I would start by saying that we're the consumers, but we're also the workers. You know, like, uh, and and it's just uh, Lucas in the film says uh, he starts saying this part where he's talking about like we're focused on tomatoes here, but you know, like it's a different situation in another part, and it's about making those connections. And uh, I, I, that is kind of at the core of uh, a lot of the lessons that. Uh, I've been able to to pick up from them uh, in in Immokalee and and a lot of folks around here over the years is a sense of like being aware of, about our history. The fact that you know that there's uh, the harvest of shame and then 60 years later it's very much the same situation. In part, what it stresses is how how unaware we are of our situation, how unaware we are of our own history, and so we keep repeating the cycles. In part, out of a sense of um, well, if we act as as faithful uh, or as not or as you know as as angry consumers or or as consumers trying to nudge folks in the right direction, maybe things will change for a certain period of time, and it, and it might. But what really needs to change is we need to change our consciousness to realize that that we are being exploited in different ways as well. You know, uh, when you when you see what's going on in, in the fields, uh, when you we very much still have cases of modern day slavery, um, that brings up the history of our country from you know which was built as a slave state, and you know and the fact that we had uh, time there are periods in our history where we where we could have really united and really made strong class uh, you know victories if we if we had if you know if poor whites had realized how much they had in common with 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 slaves at the time in the sense of like by slaves uh, being just, just I mean, I'm slaves for God's sakes, uh, that diminished uh, the, the, obviously the, the very core dignity and, and spirit of, of folks who were dealing with slavery, but also of uh, the, 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 the power that freed folks had you know, when they had to compete against industries where they had no labor costs whatsoever. And so that's still the case you know, right now. And so it's just something to keep, to keep in mind. It's just like, as Lucas said, like, what, what are we doing in our, in our, in our different fields and our different, uh, different positions where we're both uh, consumers, but we're also workers? And how are we fighting to connect these dots? So uh, as consumers, there's a, there's a lot that can be done. The, the film does a pretty good job going into the fair food program, which you can check out. Um, and um, one of the easy things that you can do right now is we're also having a campaign against Wendy's, not just against Publix. Um, and so right now, something as simple as you can do when you walk out of, uh, walk out of Red Emma's is just to uh, get on Twitter, go uh, tweet Wendy's and just tell them to sign up for the Fair Food Program. Use the hashtag Fair Food Program uh, or uh, Penny More Per Pound. Uh, there's a lot more you can do that's also really just as easy provided you have a printer uh, where you can print out a letter uh, for, for Wendy's and just go and drop it off next time you go or, you know, through the drive-thru or whatever, it, it does add up. As, um, as they talked about in the, in the film, they really do a good job of uh, just kind of brand-busting, about making it, pointing out the hypocrisy of these, uh, these illusions that these brands have made that they actually care about folks. Um, and so if you, just, uh, if you actually keep nipping at it, it it's worked. You know, we've gone against Walmart, we've gone against a whole bunch of other folks, and I've definitely talked for too long, so I'm going to pass it on to someone else. And, and, <laughs> and, and Rachel, I'm curious, in, in, um, in Philadelphia, as part of your organizing, how does this work? Um, so I live in Philadelphia, but we do the organization I work for is in southern New Jersey, which is a big agricultural area in eastern Pennsylvania where um, the most domestic mushrooms come from, and in Delmarva Peninsula of Maryland that is more recent. Um, but I guess um, for us mainly, so there is this kind of work like the fair food program and a lot of stuff we do around workers' education, helping people be able to defend their legal rights and human rights. Um, but we also, it seems really important to us and to our membership, we're a membership organization of farm workers and other low-wage immigrant workers in the areas that we work, but um, is to not only 
try to resolve these really horrible, egregious labor violations, but to look at what we actually want to create and what is the alternative um, in, as in a food system that makes consumers ill and um, relies on cheap, exploited, undocumented labor and also puts small farmers into bankruptcy. Um, so what we've been doing is we're a part of something called food justice certification, which is a labeling program, but to raise the bar and to look at what actually a fair, fair system would look like, and it would be fair working conditions, and it would not be getting paid by the piece. It would be people, it's people making a living wage and not having to work with pesticides and chemicals also so that when they're, so that first of all they can have a career in farm work um, but also not have, you know, obviously it's very hard work. You could see in the videos where perhaps you know firsthand but people come here and they work you know, for a lot of their youth, but it's not something that is sustainable. And in the end, they may leave and go back to their countries, but they, they'll wind up with cancer from being exposed to pesticides for so many years or other chronic diseases just from lack of preventative health care. So, like... Yeah, sorry. This I think this work is really important, and it's also important to look at where we want to be and what is what we actually want to create. Sorry, I'm not really used to doing this kind of stuff. That's cool. That's good. That's good. So what you raised here, I think, is important for us to think about. Is that as they did in this film, which is that it, we're talking about tomato workers, the Immokalees, and what they're doing, and the Immokalee workers, but they also told in the story, there's workers who pick every other thing from artichokes to cucumbers to whatever is being picked. And this idea is interesting, the idea of labeling and the role that can play in kind of a political struggle in our worlds when we talk to Annapolis, when we talk to other places about what we would demand that it's on our foods and the battles around labeling across the country, GMO labeling in California and other places. That, and, the, and of course, it's a huge pushback. But the whole idea, when you raise the issue of labeling, what that does to create a consciousness in the public about what's happening to the food we eat and what's happening to the workers that pick that food and their conditions. I mean, that, because, you know, until you said that, I mean, I pride myself on knowing something about food with the show that we do. I never thought about mushrooms coming from here or the people who pick those mushrooms or the work they have to go through and all the mushrooms we buy all the time. So, that, see, I didn't know that. Probably a lot of people here didn't know that. Other people listening to this program don't know that. That, that's the point analysis of raising the consciousness. So it takes all these things to do that. Put that, go ahead. Well, yeah, and I, I think you're right on with that, Mark, because there's a pervasiveness to this system that until groups like the CIW and until films like this and a whole variety in the efforts you know, of what uh, uh, folk like Rachel and Sergio are doing and groups like theirs are doing, uh, until that gets to the fore, this is a pervasive and evil system that we just don't know about. So when you talk about uh, not even thinking in terms of, of mushroom pickers right in our backyard or uh, Eric Schlossler, who we saw in the film, did an excellent expose on the strawberry fields, uh, which is grueling work. We don't think about that. We think about a strawberry. We think about getting some ice cream and we enjoy it. And, and you know, if we're halfway health conscious, we'll look for an organic strawberry and, and what have you, but we still don't think about the labor issues involved in what is a very grueling situation out in strawberry fields, and uh, we can go on down the line really with all the crops, so uh, the key point uh, in terms of a movie like this is that it is very thorough. I thought it was very thoroughly done in terms of presenting the overall issue. Uh, it makes it very plain and simple. It takes a very complex and complicated situation and presents it in a straightforward way so that now after seeing this film, none of us have the excuse of, well, we just didn't know. Uh, uh, that, that excuse is gone now. And so I think it's important uh, that we push that out it, from a, a faith body perspective. 
uh, it's crucial that this type of communication gets uh, into the hands of faith bodies. The, the connection uh, of faith groups and the CIW, first of all, the, the, the workers themselves are people of faith. So let's, let's always start from, from the, the ground up in the workers themselves, and, and it is part of their whole belief and lifestyle that they decided, no, no more, we're going to organize. You saw in the film that they started meeting in the back of a church where many justice movements start, down in the basement of the church somewhere. Um, the larger national faith bodies, such as uh, my own United Church of Christ and, and Presbyterians and others, uh, really started to kick into gear in the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, and especially when the Taco, boycott, Taco Bell boycott was on. That's when I first uh, uh, even heard of the CIW and connected with them. Uh, and the importance of larger, wider faith bodies as well as local congregations jumping in uh, is that we have to challenge oppressors uh, in any way possible. And when faith bodies lend their weight to something like this and challenge uh, uh, their own supermarket uh, owners, growers, so forth and so on, it adds a certain weight. And I don't say that patronizingly in terms of, oh, us great Christians, Jews, Muslims, or what have you decided to go down and help the lowly tomato pickers. No, actually, the workers challenged us. The workers are actually helping faith bodies and people of faith because they're challenging us, no matter what faith we're from, to actually put that into action in terms of a call for justice. That was activist, minister, organizer, and educator Ken Brown, also known as Analysis. You also heard from Sergio Espana and Rachel Winograd, Food Justice Coordinator for CATA, the Farm Workers Support Committee. And this hour, you're listening back to a panel I hosted last week at Red Emma's about the documentary Food Chains on the human cost of our food supply system and the complicity of large buyers of produce and the exploitation of farm workers. It was co-sponsored by the Center for Livable Futures Food and Faith Project and the Mark Steiner Show. We have to take a very short break, but don't go away. When we come back, we'll hear the rest of that panel. And on our way to break, we're hearing Little Lion Man by Mumford and his sons from their U.S. television debut on The Letterman Show on this day in 2010. Down the street, the dogs are barking and the day is getting dark. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner and you're listening to Sound Bites produced here in Baltimore. Out of your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And broadcast on Del Marva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. And that's One Too Many Mornings, performed by Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan, recorded on this day in 1969. Today we're listening to a panel that I hosted at Red Emma's last week about a documentary, Food Chains, on the human cost of our food supply system and the complicity of large buyers of produce in the exploitation of farm workers. It was co-sponsored by the Baltimore Food and Faith Project at the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future. Our guests were poet, activist, minister, organizer, and educator Ken Brown, also known as Analysis, food justice, health care, and labor activist Sergio Espana, and Rachel Winograd, food justice coordinator for CATA, the Farm Workers Support Committee. Well, we're all here tonight. This is part of the thing that Mark Steiner's show and our, pro- our production, we do every week called Sound Bites about farming and the future of, fu- future of food in coalition with uh, the Food and Faith Project that comes out of Center for Livable Future, which is talking to communities of faith about this. And whether you're the believer or not, it's not the question. The question is that most people do attach themselves to some place, uh, some, some church, mosque, temple, whatever people go. And just the idea of how to reach that world with this conversation. But you said strawberries. I mean, I love strawberries. And I go to my place to buy as inexpensive strawberries, cause maybe to Wegmans, and I go to the, or pick up the organic strawberries. And I just thought about what you were saying, because those organic strawberries, just like the, the, just like the pesticide strawberries, are being picked by the same workers, being paid the same low wages, right? So organic or no organic, it's still, still that same way. But moving that into the faith community and having congregations understand that begins to raise the consciousness so when movements do hit, people get it, and then things can change. 
Yeah, that's uh, part of what's really powerful about the uh, Coalition of Mockley Workers and their approach, uh, you know, within the Fair Food Program, but also in terms of how they've been building these partnerships and these networks are across the country. Uh, the CIW uh, very uh, deliberately and very intentionally has been making uh, strong, uh, you know, networks with uh, faith leaders around the country uh, and obviously in Florida as well uh, by by framing it for what it is. It's not just that it's a, a labor struggle or an economic struggle, it's a, it's a moral struggle. You know, so when folks were having the strike, uh, the hunger strike uh, in front of the public's headquarters, what they were talking about wasn't just like, here's, you know, here's the economics, we want to make a minimum wage, um, but it, it was saying, you know, uh, we're, we're human beings too. Don't forget that. Don't forget we have souls. Um, you know, and, and we, when we're talking with a lot of our, uh, you know, around a lot of labor contracts and that type of stuff, um, we tend to use a lot of the same language of our oppressors. You know, we tend to use uh, just like, like, you know, just finance, economic terms and everything. And there's a, the, what, what faith uh, allows us is it's a, it's a space that still exists in, in this country, in this society, where we can talk about each other as, as moral beings and as people who could be morally injured, as people who could be diminished, who could be robbed of their humanity. And that's something that can't be taken away no matter how you talk about it. Um, and, and going back to the, the labor um, question earlier, you know, part of what uh, the CIW is doing with the Fair Food Program is they have a code of, uh, code of conduct um, that folks have to do, uh, the different farms that are participating in it, that part of what it involves is workers' rights training. So every season they have about 10,000 uh, farm workers that are trained every year uh, in, their, in their fundamental labor rights, uh, in their fundamental uh, uh, rights to, uh, against sexual harassment, it's, uh, you know, to breaks, etc. And what's happened uh, that's really powerful is, you know, they're migrant farm workers. So folks who are working the fields in Immokalee for a season work, you know, work their way up north and are sharing a lot of those lessons. You know, so there's, there's tens of thousands of people more and more every year that are, are getting that consciousness raised uh, that, they're, that they're spreading a, around the country as well, which is pretty powerful. Anybody else want to go ahead, Rachel. Um, yeah, just to say also that there are a lot of other farm worker through farm worker organizations that do farm worker rights. And so it's not, it's not a Florida-focused thing. No, I don't know if people know Migrant Justice up in Vermont, a pretty new organization, and they're doing really powerful things, um, specifically around dairy farms now, so look out for that. Um, What's happening on dairy farms? Well, they, so they're in Vermont, and a lot of their workers work on dairy farms, and they're mostly like a few um, workers on each farm, but have, have a lot of issues that are sort of specific to the dairy industry, I guess, that I'm, I don't know specifically, but they, Migrant Justice is taking sort of lessons from CIW and also successful campaigns and, and from um, Food Justice Certification, the Agricultural Justice Project also, which is sort of like this high bar slash consumer um, pressure, trying to make a strategy around that. Um, and it's really important also that organizations come together. For example, the Food Chain Workers Alliance is a really great organization of different um, worker organizations across the food chain, including CIW, we're members, um, Migrant Justice, Bunch of, bunch of other ones. Just to piggyback uh, very quickly on what Rachel said, there is a high importance to us looking at the various aspects of this movement in terms of farm worker labor. Uh, the CIW uh, being perhaps the most notable right now, especially with the release of the movie, but I, I would encourage us all to tap into our networks. Uh, across the country and, and look at what organizations are doing what in a particular area. Um, a group called FLOC, Farm Labor Organizing Committee. Called what? FLOC, Farm Labor Organizing Committee. Uh, down in North Carolina a few years ago was able to bring R.J. Reynolds to the table in terms of what was going on in the tobacco fields. And then again, this goes back into uh, the importance of people of faith and faith bodies getting into it because if, if I'm recalling the details correctly, um, the head of some of the, the big tobacco leaders were of Methodist faith and when the United Methodist Church got into gear uh, that brought some extra pressure in terms of them coming to the table. The other uh, quick point 
uh, as far as the as far as how varied the situation is, the movie did a very good job of looking at the history of of farm labor and its relationship to immigration. Uh, and so we're not just talking about uh, Latino workers. We're not just talking about, as this society would want to call them, oh, those Mexicans. No, this is, first of all, not just about Mexicans in term, only in terms of the, the Latino diaspora, but we're talking here about the opportunity to exploit any group, whether you go back to Africans being brought over here from slavery on up to whichever group can be used at, at the bottom of a, of a power chain, the bottom of a food chain. So you heard me. Uh, do a couple of lines of Haitian Creole uh, toward the end of my poem before the Spanish, and that's in there because that even in terms of the tomato fields, you have uh, uh, a small population. That, I'm not sure what percentage, but it's a small population or a substantial population of Haitians who have been involved. There have been been uh, African Americans who you know have gotten caught up into this whole thing. So that while it has a a, a Latino, a, a, a Mesoamerican face. Um, we're talking about overall systems of power who will exploit anybody, power exploit anybody that has a chance to, poor whites, whatever the latest immigrant group is, so forth and so on. And I, I was thinking about that, that when you talk about the history of all of this, it's, and that was in the film and you're just referring to it, is that the entire history of agriculture in our country is, when it comes to the large... The, 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 large, the, the large groups of crops and large farms has always been a history of exploitation. From slavery to the farm workers down to where we are today. It's always been the cheaper the labor, the cheaper the food for us. So in some ways, part of it's on us. We have to be willing not to just pay as little as we do for the food that we have or to be conscious of the fact of how much labor goes into the food that we eat and consume every day. You know, and I think every church supper and post-service uh, synagogue whiskey and schnapps and whatever, you have to realize that, that this, is, this, is, this is what's happening. And just, again, going to raising the conscience about who we are. Awareness is key because we, nobody here, I think, is going to spend their full time organizing, maybe some of you are, around food and around these issues. But so, so it, it has to be awareness and constantly kind of raising the consciousness, right? Changing the culture. Changing the culture. Sorry. Yeah, is, that's totally key. Like, if we, historically, we can keep sort of putting band-aids on things and fixing issues here and there, but if we don't change the actual system of what it's based on, like, this is going to keep happening. And it's not a sustainable system, and it's you know, even just environmentally, environmentally and for the people uh, food system that's like completely reliant on fossil fuel and cheap labor is not, will, you know, cannot continue forever. <laughs> or it will kill us. <laughs> so does anybody, anybody out here want to say something? Just wondering, uh, they talk a lot about Publix in, this, in the film here, but what are the grocery store chains that we should be aware of in this area uh, that are not conforming? I mean, they mentioned that Walmart did sign the agreement, but is there someone else that, in this area who also has signed the agreement, and who is holding out? Yeah, so the biggest uh, uh, grocery chains right now would be uh, uh, Kroger, uh, you know, folks, uh, Safeway, which we definitely have around here, um, and Safeway's got a you know long history, not just in terms of their supply line, but also in terms of uh, workers' rights within within there as well. So, again, if you go uh, to the Fair Food Program's uh, website or just Google Fair Food Program, you'll see uh, the different um, supermarket chains, the different um, uh, restaurants, and you know that, that, we're, that we're going against. And it, there's very very clear ways in which folks can take action that you can do. Pretty much any time you go to the grocery store, like, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, what I've been doing for a while. Like, it's just, like, show up there with a letter and just talk to a different manager. Uh, that's what we did with Trader Joe's. And, it, you know, and it, it works. You'd be surprised at how much, how much power consumers really do have. Uh, what did you ask them? Yeah. So you go in, what do you say? 
Oh, you just, uh, just uh, you know, you, you come up with a, a letter, you know, um, and just saying, hey, uh, we're, we're part of, a, you know, we're supporters of uh, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, and we're, we're asking uh, for you to sign up for the Fair Food Program. All that it's asking is a penny more per pound, um, you know, like the, which really is really all that it's doing. It's a penny more per pound, and it adds up. It goes a long way, um, you know, like a, a very long way, very, very quickly. I remember just a, cu- a couple of years ago, you know, folks, uh, you know, gathering around the office, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, and just talking about how grateful they were that they were finally making minimum wage <laughs> when the program was just getting started. And that was a, was a huge victory to them, which also gives you a sense of the level of exploitation there. Um, but you know, now with, with more and more folks signing up every year, that penny more per pound really adds up. And there's a, there's a lot of folks who are actually, you know, are finally are, are start getting closer to making a living wage, which is really the, the goal, uh, you know, which we need to go. I was going to add to that list, uh, unless they signed off, and I missed it, but Ahold, which is a Dutch company, owns Giant uh, and in New England, Stop and Shop, same thing. Uh, so that's, that's another one for our area. But that also speaks to, to something they pointed out in the film in terms of big agribusiness and big companies uh, gobbling up what were smaller chains. Small. I mean, when I was growing up, Giant prided itself. It was the community thing in the D.C., Baltimore area and what have you. But now when you talk about big chains and this country's uh, uh, kind of kissing up to big agribusiness, uh, it fosters conditions for which this happens in terms of what we're looking at. Um, things like NAFTA and, and related free trade agreements uh, play up to big business, and not only does it cause the conditions in other countries which drive people to risk their lives and crossing borders, pay, we heard somebody, thousands of dollars to coyotes to smuggle them in here, but it also destroys the small family farm in the United States. So you heard some of the farmers talk about the change in the situation. Well, all of that comes from the same system of exploitation that, that, that uh, uh, buoys big agribusiness and it destroys small family farms on both sides of the border here and in other countries. So this plays all directly into that. So you know, I think that, that one of the things just want to kind of wind down a little bit here is to, is to the, the, uh, coming back to this penny, a, a penny a pound, a penny, um, yeah, that that we talked about, that talked about in the movie, which is a critical piece. Of this because it sounds most people hear that and they, they wouldn't believe what was being said. That just adding that penny and how it changes the lives of the workers. Um, and of course, if we add on the penny to the cucumbers and a penny on to the peaches and a penny on to the strawberries. I mean, that's what we're talking about and kind of making that expansive because it's not just the tomatoes. Walmart might have signed a tomato agreement, but they probably haven't signed a strawberry agreement, and they haven't signed a cucumber agreement, and those things are still there. So, you know, and I can see, it might be annoying, but it might be interesting to try an experiment going to these places when you buy your stuff and asking, are you, is this, is this fair food for the cucumber I'm about to buy? I mean, buy it because you want it, but just harassing them that way and pushing them making them know that people know what's going on and they were thinking about it all the time and, and, and pushing that again. So, go ahead. Someone want to say something? So, I think I have to get some closing thoughts from everybody. I want you to come up, Darrell, before we, before we end here tonight. A, a question from the man himself. <laughs> okay. Well, so, um, my question was about the... Um, at the beginning of the film, they showed the people in Florida were living 15 to a very small house, and then you saw people in Napa who were sleeping outside. And those are like two examples that we see, but those are very far away, Florida, both Florida and California. Are there places in Maryland and Pennsylvania and Jersey, Delaware, where you have seen people living in egregious conditions or experiencing egregious conditions on farms in our, in our backyard? Great question. Is that, I think it's a Rachel question. So. Yeah, um, let's see. Southern New Jersey, for example, um, is mostly f- small-scale, family-owned farms. They're still c- it's still conventional agriculture, and they're in New Jersey. In, um, you're not allowed to charge for labor camp housing, actually. So people, there is a lot of substandard housing on farms regardless um, because there's not enough enforcement. And so that's, you know, just like um, bed bugs and rats and stuff in your house and 
um, drips from the ceiling, but also people who don't live on camps. And this goes for um, a lot of our members in Maryland and Pennsylvania as well. But um, people are not getting paid a lot and housing costs a lot. And a lot of towns, people that I know, they live, they, maybe they'll rent a really big house and are charged a lot of money for rent, and each family has a bedroom in the house. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of people for uh, expensive rent. You know, it's still hard to make the rent and pay for food and child care, stuff like that. So that yeah, definitely is all over this area as well. Yes, and it's all over the eastern shore, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Virginia, Maryland, the eastern shore, Delmarva, where especially people are the, who are chicken catchers, living in those same conditions, people for, for whether they're working for Purdue or for Tyson Farms or, or Mount Air or whoever, they work in those conditions and live in those conditions. And yeah, there's, that, that all goes on there. And that, that's one industry really hasn't been touched very much by it with all this stuff because they, they actually... They go in there and they, they, they would tell the workers who go around to catch the chickens, they will tell the workers, don't trust the farmer, don't talk to the farmer. And they tell the farmer, don't trust these workers catching your chickens, don't talk to them. And they keep them very separate. So there's never any dialogue on between them and, they, and they, there's a real distance. So that stuff's happening right here in our, in our own backyards. It's not just vegetables. It's other things that we do too. So um, it is getting late. And I just want to let our kind of panelists kind of close out with their thoughts, go down the line here, with Sergio Espana and Rachel Winograd and, and Alice, maybe you have a closing thing for us to hear. You think you do? Yep. I'm, sure you, I'm sure you're not at a loss. <laughs> Sergio. Um, yeah, so I'll be brief. Again, if anyone wants to get more involved uh, with uh, the work of the Student Farm Worker Alliance, the CIW, or the Fair Food Program, please uh, reach, uh, reach me afterwards, or you can send an email to Sergio at sfalliance.org. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just uh, the last couple things to emphasize would be, one is just something that uh, Gerardo said in the film about the need, you know, he was talking to uh, workers uh, at the office, and he's saying, we're, we're the new Department of Labor now. You know, like, we got to go out there and do the work. Uh, and because and fundamentally no one cares about us this, to the same level that we do. And I, I, and I think that that's, that's very much the core of, of how, they, how the folks in Immokalee view leadership development as the, and the importance of it. Um, and just something to keep in mind in terms of the work as, you know, when, in terms of what we can do as consumers, but also in terms of what we can do in terms of workers and our own rights. It's just to see ourselves as the way things are going right now when there's 14 uh, regulators in the entire state of Florida and, and very similar numbers, I imagine, around the whole country. Uh, there, it's not going to be an issue of, like, what governmental body is going to take care of it. We have to start taking, uh, you know, control of our own agency. Um, and, uh, and then the last thing is just, again, it's very disturbing uh, that we live in a society where food is so... Uh, is, is treated so poorly. It's, it's seen as, as not having value, as if it's not the only thing that keeps us alive, you know. And and it's just it's very important that we that we start you know reclaiming that and and and, and really start getting a sense of like what just the, the value of, of folks doing service work, the value of folks providing the food, uh, you know, uh, from throughout the chain, and how really um, the just how disturbing it is that, that we take it for granted that so many, like literally millions of people in this country uh, are going to be paid less than what they can to, to subsist on. It's, a, it's, it's something that's not just shameful, but it's just, it also makes it, points out just how, you know, it's, there's no need for it. So just, just something to keep in mind and to really talk about with folks. Um, I just want to say we strongly believe that the best protection for workers is to be organized and to be organized into unions. And I would say, you know, encourage you to support labor organizing in whatever form, whatever way you see it happening. Um, and also that, yeah, we're looking for partnerships in specifically in Maryland now. Um, to get this food justice campaign, food justice certification going in sort of around this area for students, universities, sort of um, procurement policies for all, all kinds of groups. Co-ops, we have some certified co-op stores and 
farms, sustainable farms and stuff. So, you know, help us create this alternative system that is actually fair and, it, you know, can change what we're doing into something regenerative and sustainable. Well, Sergio and, and, and Rachel have talked about the importance of getting this information and getting action widely distributed and networking. And I would challenge all of us um, from whatever faith or spiritual practice standpoint that we are coming from uh, across the spectrum to go back into our own various theological traditions and heritages, go back into our various scriptures because justice for laborers will show up in all of that, uh, I think, pretty consistently. And you know, there are many scriptures and verses that we could tap into to show that. But it is incumbent upon us to make sure that uh, the folk in our particular traditions and networking and allying across traditions understand what's going on here, raise the awareness because uh, it is not just something that, oh, it'd be nice if we got into. If we take our various traditions seriously, we are called to get into it. There really is no choice if we, if we take that part of our holistic lives seriously. Um, uh, a short piece to end with, you saw in the film, again, the importance of how immigration and immigrant history in this country plays into this whole situation. Uh, many of you are familiar with acrostic poetry where you may, uh, for example, go down the alphabet with particular lines, so you may hear that in this piece. This is called Immigration Acrostic. Asinine interjections of anti-immigrant hate create bathos to any expectation of intelligent thought coming from those who, in their own insecurities, denigrate those who cross oceans and cross burning deserts, having been excluded from all that mutual wealth free trade agreements egregiously guaranteed. Greed runs rampant as big bosses make profits, while hypocritical descendants of immigrants clamor about an imagined invasion, their ignorance exceedingly ugly. Jokes are played on folks from around the world who anticipated kind and warm welcome to this land of the free. Labor under reward is the order of the day, manipulating rules of capital who capitalize off the need of poor folk and refugees to replenish their children's bellies or remit something home to stave off starvation. Prejudice is prescribed through parapets and prohibitive policies. Queries as to how we might best welcome our new neighbors are deflected by restrictionists who reroute public thought with lies of how immigration supposedly steals from our surplus or sacks our social order. Those tainted by tat and tout, English only is the only acceptable form of communication and undervalue ethnic studies which would enhance a healthy society. My people... Void from your souls all such vitriol against those who arrive. White America is threatened in the minds of the haters, and xenophobic fear is what they will tempt you to. You, however, must remain wise to such lies and permit zero tolerance for hate against the newcomer in this place. Immigration acrostic. Thank you. The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are a production of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Mark Gunnery and Stephanie Mavronis. Our engineer at WEAA is Andre Melton. Our engineer at Public Radio Delmarva is Christopher Rank. To hear this show again, podcast any of our past shows, and find out information from the interviews we are doing on this program, please visit us on the web at steinershow.org. You can also listen to and download our podcasts on iTunes. And for Public Radio, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and for WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.